and welcome to another episode of The Partial Historians. I am one of your hosts, Dr. Rad. And I'm Dr. G. And we are in an incredibly controversial period in Rome's history. We are looking at the 2nd December. Yeah, so in this podcast, we have been tracing the history of Rome from the founding of the city, and we've just been dying to get up to this point because this is where some really fascinating stuff starts to happen. So before we jump into what's going to happen in this episode, let's do a bit of a recap, Dr. G. Where were we at last time? Ah, so we left you on a bit of a cliffhanger, listeners, I have to say, because it has come to a crisis point where Rome is facing a war on a number of fronts. Mm. And this is a problem for the Decemvirs because this 2nd December, it has actually overrun its legal time period to be in office. And the 10 men involved have refused to give up power and instead have been bulking up instead and started to be quite threatening in a number of ways. And a lot of Romans have some problems with this. But if there's also going to be an external war, Rome really needs to come together. Can you smell that? It smells like tyranny. It smells like tyranny. It does. <laughs> yeah. So this this is exactly what the Romans have always been afraid of. You know, since they kicked out the kings, there's always been this concern that really that one man was going to get too much power or any man was going to get too much power. And now here they find themselves in their living nightmare. <laughs> Ten, Ten men. men. Too much power. Exactly. And the, and the ringleader is this guy called Appius Claudius. A family that we know all too well for being uber-patrician. So it should be no surprise that he seems to have been leading this group down this path. And last episode, he got royally told off by one of his relatives. (laughs) In your account, not so much in mine. I mean, it's mentioned in mine. I'm reading Livy, you're reading Dionysius. But yeah, yours really took the cake. Yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, Appius gets really shot down by his own uncle, who was basically like, you're behaving terribly All of your values are corrupt and bogus. And you can save yourself if you just step back now. And Appius is like, not going to do it. Not going to do it. So the whole episode, we were really talking about this one Senate meeting, (laughs) this one morning of the 2nd December, where the Decembers really just need help in fighting these foreign wars. And no one's having a bar of it. And they just want to get stuck into, what are you guys actually doing, huh? How about that? Let's talk about that. And that's kind of where we're at. So I think it's a good time to jump back into the fray. Let's do it. Dr. G. Now, I can tell by the hefty amount of pages in front of you that Dionysius is once again not disappointed for detail. So I'm going to let you tell me. (laughs) Yeah, this man is not done by any stretch of the imagination. Dionysius of Calacanassus, as I've said on many occasions, never misses the opportunity to do the rhetoric. Um, putting words into people's mouths to show off how great he is as an orator himself. Mm. And this leaves us with this fascinating, like, almost like live action sequence, which takes pages and pages to get through because it's just raw dialogue, essentially. Yeah. And we've just had Gaius Claudius, Appius Claudius's uncle, Mm. basically 
say that he's gonna leave Rome and he's gonna go and live with his Sabine relatives until yeah. this whole shitstorm has passed. The shame, the shame, hugely shameful. Yeah, because yeah. Appius, what Appius is doing and holding on to power in this way and conducting himself in this manner, because the citizens and even even other people in the you know in the patrician class they seem to be suffering during this time the decemvirate are not conducting themselves well by any means which is why everyone wants them gone yes and certainly why the patricians want them gone because things are not being done the way they like it no. and if anything they want things done that way well there's no competition for office how are you supposed to be all elite and stuff if there's nothing to compete for how will i demonstrate my weirdos exactly yeah so it's a problem and appius claudius now is on He's just been openly embarrassed, one would assume. Um, if that speech didn't embarrass him, then we've got bigger problems. Will. Yeah, And he decides at that point that he really needs to get um, one of his colleagues um, on side and to talk next. So he kind of rolls up to Marcus Cornelius, another Desenvir. He's like, buddy, who do we have in the crowd that's pro us who could speak next? Mm. Marcus is like, no, I'll get my brother to have a chat. Ah, uh, so you know, this actually does happen in my account. I mentioned it last time, but I think I just mentioned it too early because mm. I thought I thought Gaius Claudius was done, but he wasn't. <laughs> he was certainly no. not done. Yeah. Um, so remind me what uh, Lucius Cornelius says in Livy's account. It's very brief, but the, the gist of what he says is that, look, we really just need to be focusing on the external problems right now. This is not a meeting to debate what's going on with the Decemvirate. We've got an issue, and that's what we're here to address. So it's kind of the classic patrician move we've seen before, but it's just on another scale because the decemvirate. This is not just an ordinary consulship or something. This this is something quite different. And and the abuses that are going on. I mean, properties being confiscated, people are being murdered in the streets. So this is not just a plebeian patrician usual argument. This has definitely escalated. Yeah, this has turned into high level factionalism. Yeah, uh, with all the violence that attends that. Um, Lucius Cornelius's uh, speech in Dionysius of Halicarnassus is a little bit more florid, as you might imagine. <laughs> I, I have imagined it, and I have been waiting to hear what he would say. <laughs> well, he starts out by just criticising the older senators for being really quite selfish. And it's like, actually, this is all about their petty grievances, and they're making it about the wrong topic. There does seem to be a definite divide, as we've often noted, Dr. G, between the older senators and the younger ones. Yes, and the yeah. younger ones are waiting for the old ones to die off and the older ones are getting mad. Yeah. <laughs> that seems to be what's going on here. Right. Um, but he definitely criticises the older senators for their conservatism in this issue mm. and for behaving out of jealousy. And he, he basically says that they're less interested in getting things on track with Rome because if they were, they'd be pro getting the army together, making mm. sure the levy got done. And what they're really interested in is making sure that they get their share as a patrician. And he's like, that's not good enough right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I can see where he's coming from slightly. I don't think we share the same point of view, but it does seem like the patricians could be doing more to stop the abuses of the decemvirate and that they don't really care about the fact that citizens are suffering. They just care about how it's affecting them. I mean, I shouldn't really be surprised, but there you go. Yeah, and Lucius Cornelius has um, this sense in which he addresses the older patricians and older senators as being impractical in a time of great danger. Mm. So he basically says, you're just behaving in irrelevant ways when actually we need you to step up here. Yeah. Um, and just kind of ignoring the the legal element, which is obviously the pressing issue that the older senators are concerned about. Yeah. Uh, so... 
And Lucius Cornelius does have a reputation himself. Uh, he served a consulship in 459 BC, mm-hmm. and he was part of um, the group that besieged Antium Ooh. and then went on to aid the Tusculans. So he's got a military rep bringing into the room. Very prestigious. Very yes. prestigious. Yeah. And then, but he then dips into sarcasm big time in this speech there is a real tonal shift Mm -hmm. um, which I quite enjoyed as (laughs) as somebody who's quite sarcastic myself a lot of the time and he's like let's talk about what it would be like guys if we did it the way the old senators are suggesting let's lay it out first we'd have to have a vote in the senate and the election of magistrates then we'd have to have a resolution where the decimvirs go before the people and appoint at the third market day thereafter for consideration and discussion of the issues and then the tribes would have to give their votes and then the new magistrates would have to take over the administration of the commonwealth and then there'd have to be the proposal to consider the war he's like let's think about those steps and how that's going to play out in reality do you really think our enemies at the gates are going to be like Oh, yes. Well, you know, I'm very happy to wait for all of those procedures to go through. I understand that uh, your your situation is a bit complicated right now. We'll camp over here. You let us know when you're ready and then we'll do the battle. Look, point taken. I do see where he's coming from because it does seem like there are some genuine military issues for them to sort out. However... The Decemvirate are really just reaping what they have sowed here. People would have been much more willing to cooperate with them. I mean, the patricians are usually all about the levy. They've got no problem instituting the levy usually. So, yeah, it's kind of their comeuppance for being so difficult and illegally holding on to power. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because then he does the whole, like typical patrician war rhetoric moment he's like what do we really want to do do we really want to lose everything to the enemy or do we want to come together now and we'll sort this problem out after the war i wonder how long rome will use this argument (laughs) well to me what's really fascinating is that this argument is now being used by the decimvirs against the patricians exactly and traditionally this argument is the very one that the patricians use wholesale against the plebs absolutely and that's definitely something that's starting to come through in my account i don't want to go too crazy because i know that you have probably got more to say on this matter but certainly in my account once Lucius Cornelius has made these suggestions and they've had this discussion. The younger senators are interested in forcing through, uh, you know, holding the levy and just, you know, going through with things because they see it as a necessary thing. But it's other senators, other patricians that are going to throw a spanner in the works, which we have really never seen before on on this level, I don't think. I, I think this is quite a special moment. This is an incredibly interesting moment from my perspective because it's suggesting that the factionalism that's happening in the patriciate class is is real as well. Yes. Um, and we've been talking about this struggle of the orders, which from a historical perspective, you know, it, it could be largely mythical. It's, mm. it's really hard to nail down anything about it in our source material. Yeah. But this kind of like writing of the history as well, which is coming through much later, suggests that actually the factionalism is happening all over the place. There's a lot of disagreements about what makes Rome work and how it should work. And that's coming through in our accounts that are written much later than the period that they're writing about. Well, I suppose this is a moment to flag just how significant the second December is. Uh, and, and obviously not just eat itself, but getting rid of it. It really is this moment where Rome hits an absolute crisis point. And in coming back from that, 
it is reshaping itself into it's, it is starting itself on a journey i suppose into being the rome that later on we will probably find more recognizable it is definitely one of those moments. Yeah, and it's a chaotic moment because as far as uh, external appearances uh, seem, a group of 10 men being in charge of stuff is a division of power. Mm. And it's not contradictory to the Republican ethos that has allowed them to push out the kings. Yeah. The problem with this is that nobody's satisfied anymore. No. And this kind of division of power amongst 10 specific people who refuse to give it up seems to have gotten everybody's dander up. Well, I I think it's one of those moments where Rome could have gone in multiple directions in terms of how it decided to govern itself, in terms of its, you know, future fate. We probably come at this and say, oh, well, we know that the Republic is going to not only survive, but we know it's going to actually, you know, go on to greater heights. So we probably read backwards against this. But actually in the moment, it, it is this moment of absolute crisis where who knows what could have happened with this external threat and this internal threat happening all at once. Uh, you know, it is kind of crazy to think about it like that. And people are fearful for their lives. Yeah. They're getting out of the city. And Gaius Claudius saying that he's going to go and live with his Sabine relatives. He's not alone in this. People think that's a good idea. And the Sabines are part of they're part of the group that Rome is fighting. So that's a big statement. It is a huge statement yeah. at this point to be like, you know, I'm going to sit with the enemy for a while and see how I feel later. Yeah, I mean, even the fact that I, I know that you've got a lot to get through, but Livy dedicates a huge amount of space to dealing with this one year. That says something, because Livy is not averse to skimming through things. <laughs> uh, he likes a light touch. He does. <laughs> concise, concise. Well, speaking of such things, so Cornelius del- delivers this speech. Mm-hmm. So he's obviously pro-Decemvirate. He's yep. a brother of one of the Decemvirs. Yes. Um, he's basically a-, a voice to do that job. And at this point, his perspective gains a lot of traction. A whole bunch of senators come up after him. And they basically agree. And this is kind of, we're getting some insights into the understanding of how the Senate might work. So Mm. the idea is that there is an order of speakers and you get up in your allocated position, Mm. give your speech, and you either weigh in with a new perspective or you argue for one of the perspectives that have gone before you. So ultimately, there's kind of like this snowballing effect where you kind of reach a critical mass of what the senatorial decision is going to be before every senator has had a chance to speak to the point. And I imagine at this point in time, it's mostly going to be older senators who speak first, yeah. traditionally. It, it's been a problem because they've gotten in there and we had Lucius Valerius Petitus trying to speak quite early on, yes. which suggests that he it was a legitimate position for him to speak at that point. Right. And he was talked down and forced basically to sit down and shut up, Mm. which he was not pleased about. And he is about to make a resurgence. Yes. Now this (laughs) happens in my account as well. So here we go. We've actually got some agreement. Oh yeah. Excellent. All right. What happens? Well, essentially Valerius and, and also um, Heratius demand that they want to speak. And they're basically saying to the Decemvirs, you can't stop us because as far as we're concerned, you are private citizens. Okay, so we've heard that kind of argument made against the Decemvirs in the previous thing we've been talking about, people not recognising I do not recognise your authority. (laughs) Exactly, yeah, exactly. Fair enough. So 
Appius thinks, right, now's my moment to once and all, once and for all put this man in his place. So he, he actually sends a lictor to arrest Valerius to stop him from speaking. Oh, really? Yeah. He, he decides that, well, if this guy is going to be uppity, I shall be bold in return. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some lictors. Let's send them in. Exactly. And so Valerius starts calling on the citizens for help to ask them to, like, def- to come to his aid and defend him. This is where Lucius Cornelius comes back into it. He pretends that he's concerned about Valerius and sort of throws himself around Appius and um, stops, you know, a fight from breaking out. And this is where Valerius is allowed to speak. Now, does he get a massive speech in Dionysius of Halicarnassus? Oh, boy. (laughs) I'll throw it to you then. (laughs) He certainly does. So it sounds to me from what Livy's account is that he sort of contains it all into a a kind of particular moment. Mm. And... Uh, some of those details are coming through in Dionysius' account in the first moment where Valerius tries to speak. Right. So the lictor shutting him down in Dionysius' account happens right at the start of that senatorial meeting. Yeah, yeah. But now Lucius Valerius Petitus is coming back uh, and being like, well, you can't deny me my right to speak. I know you've pushed me to the back of the queue, which is uh, rude of you, yeah. uh, but I'm still going to have my say. You can't stop me. I'm a senator. Yes, yes. And everyone's like, oh, God, all right, fine. They're like, you know, most people agreed with Cornelius, so, you know, it's kind of up to you, buddy, whatever. Mm. Um, and he's like, look, I see what has happened here. And I understand that by pushing me down the queue, what you've done effectively is meant that my position and the advice that I would give is going to carry less weight than it should have. Nevertheless, I'm going to speak to the issues because I think everybody needs to understand the truth and to be able to make the best decision the best decision (laughs) uh, that they can um, in light of a full understanding of the things. Mm -hmm. So let me proceed. Mm -hmm. I, first of all, I disagree that Gaius Claudius's motion is impracticable. Uh, I don't think that's the problem here. And I'm going to show you how we can make our uh, area, our land secure and how we can have those who have dared to injure the state punished and how we can recover our ancient aristocracy because really what's at stake here is aristocratic rule fine and simple true that is true yes and he's like so let, let's go back in time and he does a bit of like uh memory memory stuff um tell some memories stories <laughs> touch the corners of my mind <laughs> he's like you remember that time where we had that problem um, with the Sabines and the Aquians, and they were coming at us both at the same time. Round about, no, oh, I don't know, 456 BCE. You remember that time? Not I was that long say, ago. Which time? Yeah, yeah. He <laughs> was like, remember that time? Um, and, you know, and the whole of the state was at an impasse about how we would deal with this because we were losing everywhere. Mm. Um, what do we do? And he was like, guess what we did? We got up a new magistracy in a single meeting. How did we do it? Dictator. Oh my goodness, is he proposing a dictatorship? <laughs> yeah, so he's like, remember that guy, Cincinnatus? Well, isn't he there? <laughs> I, I, I if Cincinnatus is doing anything, he's at his farm, surely. <laughs> I don't know, he might be at the meeting, I'm not sure. I kind of vaguely remember us mentioning him last time as being in support of Gaius Claudius. Maybe I'm maybe I'm delusional. Which would, which would make sense. Yeah. Um, and so he has this moment, so... We've got Valerius Petitus being basically like, the Senate is capable of quick action yes. when there is a crisis. Absolutely. And that quick action, historically, has been to institute a dictatorship. Right, yeah. Single person rule, short time period, 
get stuff done. Since an artist was legendary, did it in two weeks. Can't fault the guy. You know, so we've got this. We can do this stuff. It's not going to be the slow process that every that the naysayers are talking about. We yeah. won't we won't use that process. It was obviously too much of a crisis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But not only that, the thing that we are interested in right now as an aristocracy is the concerns that we have about the decemvirate holding power. He's like, what do you think the likelihood is at this moment in time that the decemvirs will ever ever call us back into another assembly? I would say slim to none unless they get attacked again. (laughs) This is our one last opportunity to preserve aristocratic patrician rule in this form. Dramatic. This is possibly accurate. A crisis of unfathomable proportions. And if you people haven't seen that yet, you've got some problems. (laughs) (laughs) I love the fact that they're just so focused on the fact that, guys... Our rule is being questioned. Forget about the murder and stuff that's happening out there. Forget about the people being beaten with rods. Our power is jeopardized. Yeah. I mean, come on, guys. Can't we just bind together just this one last time? <laughs> Dear Lucretia, I write to you from the dying hall of the Senate where we can no longer meet because the decimals have taken over. Dear Lucretia, this may be the last time that I write to you as the elite patrician that you fell in love with. I shall return victorious or never. <laughs> Yours. Yeah. Hilarious. <laughs> so he positions everything about the Desenvirs at this moment as a potential military coup. He was like, that's Ooh. what's at stake here. That's essentially what this is coming to. Hmm. And he's like, military coup. Yeah. I mean, the part of the problem is they don't have military backing. Yeah, but, yeah. But he's like, the but thing, they're trying to get it. Yeah. yeah. The thing that they're going to do, he suggests, is that they're going to get an army mm. and they're not going to give up that army. So that is the real danger here. Mm. Um, and that's how they're going to do it. And he's like, it's right here in front of us. Yeah. You know? In Livy, I think some of the issues are people can't make up their minds in this moment about what the best way to extricate themselves from this December actually is. The young senators, or young patricians, I guess we could call them. Ooh. Yeah. They are. They definitely seem as a group to be behind the December, presumably because they're going to get some extra promotion out of this, you know, jump the queue, if you will, or who knows, but that's what I'm just guessing. And it does seem to be the ex-consuls and the older senators who are concerned that there might be a new plebeian uprising coming out of this situation. And they don't want that to happen. So they do want the Decemvirate to give it their power, but they're okay with them maybe giving it up at a later date if there can be a sort of gentle transition and, and that's what they're... I think they just don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> but they understand that something needs to change, but they, they want to do it very gingerly and carefully so that they don't walk into like a full-on civil uprising on behalf of the lower classes, who are obviously the people that are suffering the most. And I think what they're hoping is that there'll be this gentle transition from December's back to the consuls. The consuls naturally will be very cautious and moderate in how they exercise their power. And therefore, they're hoping that the plebeians will just kind of accept this. And I mean, and this seems like a real dream that the plebeians might also even forget that there was such a thing as the tribunes of the plebs. Such, <laughs> such 
such would be the cotton gloves with which they're handling this transition. It's kind of amazing. Uh, I, I mean, can't believe that they can even imagine such a world as possible, but there you go. I, yeah, I mean, what a vision for Rome's future. Uh, I get the sense from Dionysius of Halicarnassus and the way the characters in his narrative are behaving that yeah. the plebeians are the furthest thing from anybody's mind. They are... Their well-being of, certainly is. Yeah, yeah, next to no concern. I mean, they're, they're fodder for the army. Yes. And it's just a matter of how we get that army together because everybody kind of agrees that we definitely need a levy. For sure. Yeah, but nobody's talking about the tribune of the plebs because they don't have to, except for Petitus in his first speech where he got shut down because that was the one significant thing he said mm. was that I feel like I need my own uh, tribune of the patricians to take care of me. Uh, Bold statement. Bold statement. <laughs> so he's got some hurt feelings. But this conclusion of his second speech, though, really uh, taps into a senatorial mood shift. Right. Everybody who comes up after him and he's been placed at the back end so it's mostly lesser senators everybody after him is pro his position right and take it up other senators who have already made their statement and effectively voted already which way they're going and it's now public knowledge because they've been in an open forum for sure. hours now they want to change their mind some Ooh. of them <laughs> yeah and this becomes i flip flop i flip flop yeah yeah i want to flip i want to flip guys yeah <laughs> and uh, and this means that Lucius uh, Cornelius, brother of the Decemvir, is like, oh, guys, you can't flip-flop. That's not how a senatorial meeting works. Yeah, I don't think any of this is how it's meant to work. <laughs> They're like, that's not process and procedure, is it? Now, you had your say, you agreed with so-and-so, and here we are. It turns out the Titus didn't get enough votes. I'm sorry, but surely we'll have to go with... The majority so far which was my speech that's what we'll have to do appius claudius decides now is a great time to pipe up oh god <laughs> is he gonna get a big speech no thank okay. goodness <laughs> <laughs> no surprises um you can already guess what he's gonna do he's like you know cornelius speaks a good truth you know this is this is how the senate works and it's unfortunate <laughs> that Petitus spoke so late in the piece and couldn't get enough votes up for his position but that's <laughs> that's just the way it is uh turns out that we're going to have to just keep going and do the levies ourselves and the decimvirs will figure it all out at the end it's after we've won the, draw, the war guys. yeah luck of the draw yeah i dismiss this senatorial meeting it is done wow okay well that explains how i get to my point in my account where the levy is just carried out because nobody can say no to the decemvirs there's no right of appeal yeah so in, in dionysius's account it's effectively that they can't get out of the vote that they've already gotten themselves into to, yeah yeah where people are like oh yeah no we have to go with cornelius because he's making a lot of sense now and we really need to do something so it makes sense that we should just figure this out we'll we'll buy into the general patrician argument which mm. is we'll figure out the problems after the war they're like oh that's a reasonable point one i'm very familiar with yeah i vote for that yeah see that's definitely not entirely clear in livy he just makes it seem like well the senators he, he does make it seem like the senators have to kind of put up with the levy but he's not making it clear that there was this huge division in terms of speeches and that kind of thing. Ah, oh, the speeches are over. <laughs> For now. Excellent. For now. Excellent. Feelings run high, though. People leave this editorial meeting, they're not happy. No, well, see, I'm now that 
you're out of the senatorial meeting. Yeah, you I'm still you. dealing with exactly what's going to happen with the external problems. Is this where you were also Ooh. up to? Oh, I think I have some internal issues that crop up first. Okay, well, I'll let you take that before I start talking about who's going to fight who in this <laughs> external war. So we have a bit of a some factionalism. It's not surprising. People come out of this meeting and they immediately split off into the groups that make sense to them right. in terms of the speeches that have been given. And some of these guys, Valerius Batitis and Marcus Horatius Babatus, who mm-hmm. also spoke earlier on, Storch yes. Republic, really wants governance to be on the table. Yep. Um, those two have decided that they're going to bond together mm. and bunker down with their clients, get a personal defensive system set up and figure out what to do from there. These guys are the next dynamic duo of ancient Rome, guys. <laughs> Valerius and Horatius, Batman and Robin. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, quick, surround our, our uh, urban villas with like people with knives and stuff. You know, like, <laughs> defend ourselves while we figure out what to do next. These decimbeers are out of control. Yeah. But I can't leave the city. Somebody has to save Gotham. <laughs> uh, then there is a whole bunch of people who are like, quite reasonably i think being like i think this would be a really good time to leave again (laughs) just piking on the whole situation yeah which i think you know speaks volumes rome is in such trouble right now if people are just like you know what it's just not safe to be here in any way shape or form i could just go and live with anybody else right now and that would be better for me it just reminds me of those threats that the patricians used to make though when the plebeians were refusing to join the levy and they're like hey we'll go and fight without you guys we don't need you (laughs) yeah now they're just leaving themselves anyway yeah now, now they don't seem so brave (laughs) and then so at the head of that faction is obviously Gaius Claudius right Um, he's like I'm off to Regulus it'll be great the Decemvirs don't like the fact that people have one bunkered down and not just gotten on with it Mm. um, haven't haven't just flowed through with the senatorial the decision of the senatorial meeting yeah they just Um, might be backed up yeah and it's pretty clear that it's still controversial because people are leaving or they're hankering down with people with knives and stuff so they start (laughs) arresting people Ah, um, this is where the arrest comes in. Yeah, they right. start arresting people as they try to leave the city. Right. And when that becomes problematic, because it seems like um, those people might start to bandy together and defend themselves, mm. um, they start letting them go um, and then just confiscating their property and give it to their own faction. Oh my, that's yeah. not a popular move. No. I don't know that they have the lictus for this. I don't know, but I mean, I feel like each of them... Each, so each 10 of them has their own set of lictors and I imagine at this point they've also got their own gang of thugs. <laughs> That's what I mean. I feel like it has to be more than just the lictors. Yes, because even sure. with you know, even with that many lictors, they'd still be massively outnumbered mm. if there was you know, a significant senatorial faction against them. Yeah, mm. so this is a huge problem. Yeah. And it's at this moment that Dionysius of Halicarnassus, as a, as a writer gives you a personal perspective on things he's like let me just weigh in here (laughs) with some historiography i've related all of these events to you and you know they might have retained power for a considerable amount of time the decimvirs they might have they could have kept going down this path Mm. but they make some really bad decisions they certainly do (laughs) and there's almost no way that they can continue to be in power after they do the sorts of things that I'm about to tell you about. Yeah, I, I don't think I'm quite up to that point, but I know what you're talking about. Yes. So he does a bit of like strategic foreshadowing. Shadowing, yeah, yeah. Yes. 
So yeah, so that's that's a kind of the, the consequence of the Senate meeting and that kind of wraps that up nicely. Okay, well, the outcome for me is that the levy is going forward because nobody really has any means of stopping it. And so they start deciding who is going to face what enemy, okay? So Fabius comes up. Now, Fabius, as we know, has been quite the heroic figure of previous episodes. But mm. sadly, he is following Appius Claudius's lead and has become a bit of a jerk in, oh, yeah. the, in this episode. Yeah, He's a decimvir now, isn't he? Well, yes, but he's not just a decimvir, but he's also a bad decimvir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know that there is such a thing as a good decimvir at this point in he's, time. He's the hypothetical last Fabian. Well, see, I think what Livy is trying to say is that he's a man who could have set a different example. But instead, he changes his character to fit with Appius Claudius. Ah. Uh. Who is a douchebag. Bad move. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Anywho. Running with the wrong crowd. Well, exactly, yeah. He is sent to deal with the Sabines, and along with him we also have Manius Rubelius, sorry, Rabuleus, and Quintus Poetelius, I think? Yeah, Poetelius. Poetelius, yeah. yeah. Something like that. Yeah, so they're going to go off and deal with that particular issue. Yeah, so they're heading off to the Sabines. Yes. So this is kind of like the northeast. Exactly. Then we've got Marcus Cornelius, Lucius Minucius, Titus Antonius, Caeso Duilius, and Marcus Sergius sent off to Mount Algaidus, who we have, which a place which we have mentioned many times as being a place of conflict for the Romans. <laughs> Just seems to be a good place to have. Oh yeah, battles. this is the, yeah. So yeah. Our, Mount Algaidus is uh, down in what is known as the Albion Hills. Mm. This is in deep in Aquian territory. Yes. Yeah, I'm loving this sort of like army division because I was doing some calculations around this. Yes. Um, because I'm like, this is like the biggest lot of legions that we've seen for quite some time. Yeah. And I was like, really? The Decemvirs have managed to levy an army that large in these conditions? When, who can say no? Who can say no? I have questions. As a historian, I have questions. There are many questions, but <laughs> I think I think the simplistic narrative is nobody can say no. <laughs> I couldn't say no. It was just too alluring. Yeah. Now, of course, with the city being in the state that it is, you can't leave it unsupervised, Dr. G. Of course not. And guess who's chosen to be the person that stays behind in the city. Well, it would just be our old friend Appius Claudius. Oh, yeah. yeah, keeping the safe place for himself. Yeah, and so Spurius Oppius is assigned to stay with Appius Claudius, and they're going to hang out together. And because they're the only two left, and they have to make sure that everything stays peaceful in the city, they accrue all the power of the total December. So it's just Disturbing. the two of them. Disturbing. Yeah. Yeah, but an important detail to hold on to, listeners. Exactly, yeah. So I'm going to pause there and see if there's any detail you need to add before proceeding. Uh, I think the detail that I would add here is that we're looking... We don't know too much about the size of legions in this period, but this was something that immediately I was like, we've got way too many men... Usually you've got two consuls, so you've kind of got two legions and that's about it. Sure. And now you've got ten decimvirs, and when you've got ten legions... Well, but do they have a legion each? This is the question. Yeah. Well, yeah. Dionysus of Halicarnassus kind of suggests that they do. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, Livy gives me no such useful information. <laughs> yeah, no, no. He makes it clear that there are two in the city. Right. Um, there are three going against the Sabines and five going against the Aquians. And okay. that And that division of the Decimvirs that you noted is the same in our sources. Okay. The thing about legions is that we don't really know how big they are, but we do know that they decrease in size over time as we get further into the imperial period. Right. So we think 
that a legion at this time is somewhere between 3,000 and 5,000 soldiers. It's a lot of guys. It's a lot of dudes. Yeah. And this would make a huge army of somewhere between 30,000 and 50,000 people. Yeah, and I don't know that Rome has that manpower. Given, I don't think given so. the size of the citizen body that we've been recording in the census, and not all of those people would be capable of fighting in a legion, that does sound like a and huge And they've had amount. a lot of trouble raising armies in the past, in the, la- in the last few years at least, where like they keep trying to force it to happen, and like this is with the consuls, and they just can't get enough people in there. And you think to yourself, how... Would you raise so many more because you're going from trying to raise two to trying to raise ten? On top of which, it's only a couple of years ago that we had that horrible plague. Oh, yeah. Where lots of people died. Lots of people died. Yeah. Yeah, so these numbers all seem a little bit farcical to me. Yeah. Um, But I, I give them to you nonetheless because it's just trying to work out, like, just in terms of the narrative, how much bigger this force seems to be on paper compared to forces that we've seen before. Mm. And the other thing that Dionysius adds in here is that these forces are accompanied by an auxiliary force that are made up of allies, including the Latins. That makes sense. That is as large as the citizen army. That does make sense. (laughs) (laughs) And that would put us then at, you know, a lower level of 60,000 people to 100,000 people, which just seems enormous for the time period that we're dealing with and the situation, the context that we're in. Do you think that this is this classic thing that we've seen happen in both Dionysius and Livy, where they like to make these pivotal moments in Roman history seem grander it's than they actually are. It's got to sound big. Yeah. yeah. It's got to sound big because they're writing so much later. They're writing, you know, under Augustus and they're writing arguably one of the high points of Roman history when things are going you know, relatively well. Relatively well. And so to explain how Rome became this massive power and to, you know, give it some, you know, dignity and all that kind of stuff, you have to make these sorts of moments sound bigger and more impressive than they perhaps actually were. Perhaps. And they, they certainly does sound big. Um, a little of the wind gets sucked out of the sails yeah. um, as soon as the legions that are sent out to the Sabines get to that front. Because right. it turns out that the troops who have been levied are so ill-equipped and untrained that they're basically novices on the battlefield. Okay, so that's an interesting detail because I am going to give you a little bit of what comes next for me, which is Livy launches straight into the fact that the Decimvers screw up. Mm. Okay, they are not good commanders. And that might have a little something to do with the fact that the people hate them so much by this point that they don't want them to be glorious generals, you know, securing victory. They don't want them to get any credit whatsoever. They would rather allow themselves to be beaten by the Sabines and the Aquians than for the Decimvirs to recruit any of that. And we get that coming through in Dionysus' account as well. He says that, you know, they play dumb and they don't follow orders properly and they run away when they're supposed to run forward. (laughs) Oh, you meant the other left. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Just so long since they've been on a battlefield. Wait, my left or your left? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes, you're right. Wait, what? (laughs) Right as in my right or right as in correct? I need to pee, so I'll be back. Um, Wait, you want me to use the pointy end? (laughs) Guys, guys, how do these work? I'm having trouble with this boot. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, you, oh, just just go ahead. I'll catch you up. I'm sure I can get a boot on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So it turns out that at least for the legions that are sent against the Sabines, that's embarrassing in the extreme. And they yes. basically have to fall back to my favorite uh, location near Rome, which is Crustumerium. Oh, nice. <laughs> Sounds delicious. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, well, definitely things go so badly um, at uh, when they're facing the Aquians at Mount Argaitis that they actually lose their camp and they have to flee to the Tusculans for help. No. I know. <laughs> Tusculans. We just saved you. Can you save us? Yeah. Oh. Once again, Rome finds itself in a pickle. Yeah. I, similar details come through uh, on this front as well. We have the Aquians breaching Roman defences. Mm. That doesn't take long. And then they head towards the Tusculans. But... The trouble is that they can't retreat fast enough for their camp equipment, so they they lose a whole bunch of stuff yeah. that are is part of their supply line. Yeah, yeah. Beasts of burden. Yeah. Enslaved people that have been brought along. Military provisions. All of this has been sort of has fallen by the wayside Absolutely. in this retreat. Yeah, which I is apparently talking about. Yeah. very embarrassing. Oh, this is massively embarrassing. It it's so bad that once again back at Rome, people are starting to panic. The patricians are deciding, right, okay, we clearly need to put aside our differences regardless of what we might think of these decimvers. We need to make sure that the city itself is protected. And so any man who is capable of helping out is armed and they set up watches around the city. Ah, so yeah, so Dionysius suggests that um, Appius and Spurius being in the city, even though the supply lines are difficult and Mm. communication is sort of... Uh, challenging as well in this circumstance when they do find out that the other legions are in trouble they do try to send through help where they can oh no that does happen yeah uh, they they do send arms to Tusculan along with reinforcements and instructions that the decimvers are to hold on to the position that they're that they're in mm. uh, you know make sure they they hold that ground at least so yeah, yeah they do they do send help yes. and then the other thing that seems to happen is that from the vantage point of Rome Appius and Spurius also send out orders to the other Decimvirs to start killing people who aren't doing the right thing. So, yeah. So they give a secret instruction to put to death all who oppose their measures. So if you don't follow orders, you get killed. You can do it secretly if this is a person who has a high reputation what? within the army, so you can just make them disappear. But if you want to, you can also do it openly so the other troops get to see what the consequences are for not following the orders in the battlefield. I'm sorry, did we just take a trip to the Gulag? We might have. Yeah, what is going on? That's crazy. When Dionysius said they made some mistakes and it's not going to work out for them. I think this is one of them. Yeah. This well, is a big issue. I can see how our accounts are going to connect up, but mine is much more specific and targeted in the mistake that they make. It's not just this general order that, you know, kill everyone who says no. Well, yes, um, okay. Well, perhaps Libby me- is slightly more subtle in this respect. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's subtle. I mean, <laughs> I- okay, I'm going to have to get to the big moment, Dr. Yeah, yeah, do it, do okay, it. Okay, all right, there. here's the big moment. So, whew, Here's one of the big crimes that the Decemvirs commit, which cements people's hatred for their regime, and I think really steps up there. Oh, no, to... no. Oh, no. Hold that moment. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man, I was just a big deal that moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we can do it. We can do it. Let's do it. You, you sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. Yeah, so yeah. here's the crime. I'm sorry, listeners. 
the Roman Achilles, Lucius Siccius, is going to be murdered. <laughs> no! I know, I won't go into the details. I just had to flag that this is the specific thing that they do and this is the specific murder that they commit that turns people against them forever. Mm, tune in next time for the details. Okay, okay. So I wasn't sure if you were leading up to that or not. Oh, I definitely am, but okay. yeah. It's in the distance. Yeah, future. I, I, I want to save that because I feel okay. like it, it deserves its own time. And actually, this is probably a good spot to wrap up. Okay, well, we know what's happening next time, listeners. We know we're going to be hearing about murder, most fair, scandal. <laughs> and that means that it's time for the partial pick. Yes, this is where we wrap up and see how the Romans did overall by ranking them using our categories. In each category, they can win a possible 10 golden eagles Mm. for a total of 50. Mm. All right, Dr. G, what's our first category? Our first category is military clout. Well, I think that's an undeniable zero. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, they do seem to field a lot of troops if our sources are to be believed, but... They all run away. It's not how big the army is, Dr. G. It's, it's how, how you, you use mm, it. Yeah. That's what we always say. Yeah. <laughs> Zero. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that leads us straight to our next category, diplomacy. Is there ever diplomacy when there are decimals around? I don't think it's possible. I mean, no. they did wedge everybody so they couldn't make a decision. So yeah, it's I not think, very diplomatic. I think it's a zero again. Uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Oh, sorry. When you try to kill people Danger. when Danger. they want to leave the city. That's not very diplomatic. No. Okay. Expansion? Nope. No, that's no. a zero. No. Yeah. Weirdus. Okay. I think it depends on who you're talking about at this point. Yeah. I mean... I don't think any of the Decimvers are going down for this category. No. But, I mean, Valerius... Yeah, maybe? you could you could argue that what Petitus has brought to the table with his speech yeah. is uh, demonstrating a sense of a preservation of the Roman state as a patrician would understand it, which is, yeah. it's about patricians. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> not, not coming to the aid of helpless citizens. No. 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 Okay. I don't feel like it was as good as what Gaius Claudius did last episode. <laughs> no, that was very impressive. It would be hard to top that. Yeah, so I think maybe he only deserves like a two or a three. Well, let's say three. Let's be generous. Okay. They're doing pretty poorly this time. <laughs> All right, so that's a three for Wirtus. <laughs> and then the citizen score. Well, oh, boy. <laughs> once again, we have very little mention of what's happening for the citizens. We can only presume that their lives continue to be horrible. It sounds like it. And on top of the fact that the Decemvirs are treating them really badly and the patricians are leaving them to their fate by, you know, abandoning the city, they now also have to go and serve in these campaigns. Where according to your account, they can now be murdered on sight. <laughs> they can, especially if they refuse to follow orders. And they're like, but my shoe, my shoe won't fit on. And they're yeah. like, that's it, you're going to have to die. So I, I have to say it's got to be a zero. Yeah. Which means that <laughs> for yet another episode on the 2nd December, Rome has hit a very low score of three out of 50 golden eagles. Wow, Rome. Really letting us down. Ooh, okay. Well, the only consolation, listeners, is that you know the 2nd December has to end at some point, and there's some excellent scandal coming up in our future episodes. Uh-huh.